And we're going to start a new series today. But before that, I want to tell you a story. There were three sons who left home. They went out on their own and they prospered. And they decided to get together with their elderly mother for Christmas. And, and before that, though, the three sons sat down together and they wanted to tell one another, a little bit of bragging, what they were going to get for mom. The first son said, I built a big house for our mother and I'm going to give it to her Christmas. The second said, I sent her a Mercedes. And the third smiled and said, I got you both beat. Because you remember how mom loved reading the Bible. And you know how she can't see very well anymore? Well, I, I sent her a remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. One of our elders took 12 years to train this parrot how to recite the entire Bible. All mom has to do is say the verse, the chapter, the, the book, the chapter, and the verse, and the parrot will spit it out. So they got together with mom and the gifts were exchanged and not long after that mom sent out her thank you letters. But how many of you send out thank you letters? I'm just curious. Very interesting. Alright, that was for myself, thanks. Um, Dear Milton was her first son. The house that you built me is too huge. I only live in one room, but I have to keep the whole house clean. <laughs> thanks mom. <laughs> The second, his name was Gerald, so she wrote another thank you. Dear Gerald, I'm too old to travel, and I stay home most of the time, so I rarely use the Mercedes. The third son, who got her the parrot. Dearest Michael, you have the good sense to know just what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. <laughs> Twelve years it took to train that parrot. <laughs> Some of you are just getting it right now, but it's all right. It's all right. So I know many of you have been waiting for the Christmas season, a time of joy, celebration. This Advent season, we're going to spend time learning more about the different characters involved in the Christmas story. Um, today, we're going to learn about the first one, the first character that we're introduced to the Christmas story, Luke chapter 1. His name is Zechariah. And uh, if you could open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1 today, because of the length of the passage that we're going to read, we're not going to read all of chapter 1. Uh, we'll read it as we work through it instead of reading it beforehand. Um, Luke chapter 1, and we're actually going to start in verse 5. Verse 5. But each of the different weeks that we work through this series, we'll be looking at a different character involved in the Christmas story. Verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now here we're, we're introduced to someone by the name of Zechariah, and, and his name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And, and I think that, that is so applicable to what you see in the rest of the story here today. But we learned a couple of things just in these three verses. First of all, he was a priest. He belonged to the division of the priest, Abijah. He was one of the 24 groups that David split the Jewish priesthood into. He was married to a woman by the name of Elizabeth, whose name means the oath of God. She also came from a priestly background. 
She was a descendant of Aaron. Together they were known as being blameless in the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Think about that with me for a moment. To be known as blameless. It's quite a compliment. Verse 8. Now while he was serving as priests before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now it was, it's estimated that there were approximately about 20,000 priests that existed during this time. So it was, it was not a normal thing for someone to be chosen to be the priest to go in and to take care of the incense, to burn the incense. But it was for Zechariah. He was chosen. As a matter of fact, if this happened once in someone's life, it was amazing. And for him, God had a plan and a purpose for him to be there on this special day. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. He had just been told to not be afraid. Now, imagine with me for a moment that he comes up, not that he's lighting the candle, but imagine that you were the one that was lighting the candle next week at church. And you come up, you light the candle, and your eyes are closed as maybe you say a prayer as you're lighting the candle, and you open your eyes only to see an angel standing there in front of you. Now I think sometimes we misunderstand what angels look like. They're not these little babies that fly around with wings with a bow and arrow. Creatures of glory, of power. There's a reason that time after time in the Bible when, when someone has an interaction with an angel, sees an angel, the first thing that's said is, do not be afraid. <laughs> because there's something beyond this world. The angel Gabriel in all glory and power appears before Zechariah. And he says, do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. Now, now it's, it's, it's very fair to assume that Zechariah would have been praying here. Was he praying for a son at this exact time? Well, that's, that's debated. Nobody knows for sure. But, but I can guarantee you that Elizabeth and Zechariah had been praying for a son for a long time. Probably many, many years and they probably felt as if God had answered their prayer by saying no. There's a commentator by the name of David Guzik, and he writes the following. Sometimes we pray for something for a long, long time. We pray for the salvation of a spouse or a child. We pray for a calling or a ministry. We pray that God would bring that special person to us. But after years of heartfelt prayer, we give up out of discouragement. Zacharias and Elizabeth probably prayed years of passionate prayer for a son, but gave up a long time ago and stopped believing God for so much anymore. Blameless. Blameless. Yet an angel appears before him and says, I, The Lord's heard your prayer, and you're going to have a son. 
And what's his response? This priest, we'll look in a couple of verses, but verse 14, Gabriel goes on to continue to explain what this son is going to look like. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. That's it's important to know, as the Holy Spirit at this time was not indwelling everybody who followed God, right? But, but this, this boy, this child was going to be different. This child was going to be something else, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Wow. I wonder, as, as Zechariah is listening to this and processing all of this, first of all, how in the world do you process an angel standing right in front of you, right? The angel Gabriel. But now he's hearing all of these things about his son. The son that he had been praying for. But probably stopped believing whatever he would ever see. And now he's told that, that this child is going to go before him in spirit and the power of Elijah. This child is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedience of the wisdom of just. This child is going to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Imagine what must be going through his mind at this moment. It's not, hey, Zechariah, you're going to have a son. It's this child. This child has been prophesied about. And we'll get to that in a minute. He says, Gabriel goes on to tell all the ways that this child will be set apart. This child will be called John. And of course, we refer to as John the Baptist. So this priest, who was married to a woman from the line of priests, responds how? By saying, well, that, that's so great. I've been praying for that. And I know God can do absolutely anything. And, and this, is, this is fantastic because I've, this is something I've been waiting for for so many years. Instead, his answer is this. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Basically says, how will this come true? And if I could take that and turn it into modern day verbiage, he says, we're old. How in the world is this ever going to happen? Don't you know, Gabriel? I mean, you should know. I mean, look at you. You should know that people my age, they don't have kids anymore. It's impossible. The irony here is, as he is saying this, he's standing face to face with Gabriel, right? I mean, I... I completely doubt that Zechariah expected to open his eyes to see an angel standing at the right side of the altar. Yet he questions it. Who is to say what's impossible? Because we know that with God all things are possible. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
And when his time of service ended, he went to his home. Look with me at verse 20, at the very end, when Gabriel is speaking, he says, these things will be fulfilled in their time. In their time. See, God had a time for Zechariah and Elizabeth to have a son. But it was God's timing, not theirs. God had a time which Gabriel was going to appear to Zechariah. It was God's timing, not Gabriel's. Many times in life, we want God to work according to our time, according to our plans. And when he doesn't work according to our timeline or our expectations, kind of like what David Guzik said, many stop believing for God so much anymore. Sometimes the answer is no when we pray. But sometimes the answer is it's just not time yet. I think there are certain times in life when we wait so fervently from God for an answer. We wait with anticipation. We pray with everything that we have and it seems like God just doesn't tell us what we've been waiting to hear. One of the things that we can do as believers and one of, one of the great things that stood out to me in this passage and there are many others and we'll get to them was just those four words fulfilled in their time. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, one of the familiar passages is, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God has his timings, he has his reasons, and we trust that. So we, we have to realize that, that everything that happens in life, even if it's not our time, that God's time is always best. See, I think we, we, we sometimes come to the realization or we, or we think that, that our timing is what's best because it fits within our timeline and our perspective, but we realize that, that we just have nearsighted vision as believers, right? We can only see things about right here. And oftentimes it's like this. When God sees it all and he has a plan that's coming to fruition and we trust that his timing is the perfect timing. But Zechariah leaves the temple. He leaves it a mute. Imagine what it must have been like, not even just walking out of the temple to all of those praying, but going to see Elizabeth, no longer being able to speak. And I think we see a little bit later that, that it appears that he's not able to hear either. And this went on for many months. Imagine the communication challenges that would have existed. There's already enough communication challenges that exist in marriage. And now this one is thrown in in the middle of a very different time. Imagine going home, being Zechariah, and trying to explain to Elizabeth, you are going to have a son. <laughs> you don't understand it. I don't understand it. An angel. I mean, imagine the signs he must have been making and, and writing things down, trying to explain it all to her. Verse 24, in these days, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
Now we're going to skip a little bit in this chapter. We don't usually skip through, um, but we're going to move past the, the portion on Mary. We're going to get to Mary as a part of this series, but we're not going to focus on Mary today. Today we're looking at, at the character of Zechariah in the story, and I want to make sure that we get to the end. We see how Mary trusted the Lord, and it's very interesting if we look at the comparison between the two. This 15 to 16, probably your old girl, trusted when the angel came and said, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to give you a baby. Yet the priest who is known for being blameless is the one who doubts. But look with me at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise a child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives are called by this name. So we, we fast forward at least nine months later, at least nine months later, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been communicating through writing things down or through making signs, and Elizabeth knows that this child should be called John. Nobody else in the family is called John, and we can see how big of a deal that is by the way the neighbors react to it. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> Why would you call your, your kid John? I know you've never done that when you've heard the name that some parents call their kids, right? <laughs> what in the world were they thinking? <laughs> right? <laughs> no one's ever done that before. <laughs> but that's kind of what the relatives were doing here. Right? Like, what? <laughs> John? Why not Zechariah? This priest, he saw an angel. What a great legacy to carry on. No, it's John. And they made signs to his father. The signs is what, what points us to the fact that he probably couldn't hear either. He's mute and deaf through all of this. And they made signs to him inquiring about what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a tablet. And he wrote down, his name is John. And they all wondered. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. At the moment of faith. And Zechariah looks and sees the child that had been promised and writes down what the angel had told him. His mouth is open. His voice comes back. And we're told that he immediately blesses God. There, there's the old, the old saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. Zechariah having to communicate through writing, through making signs, watching things from a different perspective. He wouldn't have been in the conversation the same way that he was used to being in the conversation. And when his tongue is loosed, he spoke blessing, blessing God. We come to uh, the part which is known as the Benedictus, which some people would call Zechariah's song, right? But, but we see that his, his mouth is open, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and he begins to prophesy. He begins to prophesy, and here's what he says. Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. See, he knew that John being born meant this, that Jesus was coming soon. 
The interaction between, between Mary and Elizabeth just uh, helps us understand that even more, but he knew that. He knew my son being born means the Messiah is coming. He could say in faith that God had redeemed his people. Verse 69, he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Horns were used for uh, holding oil for anointing kings. The king is coming. The king is coming. Verse 70, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. One of the things that I think gets forgotten about sometimes in the Christmas season, you've heard me mention this a lot, but is that God had been planning Christmas and the birth of Christ for a long time. Before the foundations of the earth were laid, before God spoke the first words creating anything, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the one true God, knew that Jesus was going to have to come. Knew that Jesus was going to have to die. Yet they created the world anyways. The greatest story of grace ever told. Nothing begins to compare. Nothing touches it. He spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. Think about that with me for a moment. God had been planning Christmas for a long, long time. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him in fear, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. I love how William MacDonald, the commentator, he, he explains this. He says, he says the Lord has made an unconditional covenant of salvation with Abraham. This promise was fulfilled by the coming of Abraham's seed, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is Zechariah prophesying, right? The salvation he brought was both external and internal. Externally, it meant deliverance from the hand of the enemies. Internally, it meant serving him without fear and holiness and righteousness. And then Zechariah turns a little bit and he talks to his infant child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. To give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He says, you will be a prophet and prepare the way for Jesus. It actually refers back to Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Right? John had been prophesied about and now here is this infant child, John. He says, listen, you, you my child, you will make people aware that salvation is going to come through the forgiveness of their sins. And then he speaks of a sunrise. I don't know how many of you get up to watch the sunrise in the morning or have done it before. There's something so glorious about a sunrise. 
We used to go fishing. Uh, growing up, uh, we would go and out to the jungle rivers of Bolivia and we'd camp on, as the river would drop, they would leave little sand beaches and we'd throw up a tent and make a fire and we'd fish all night. And we'd go out and the plan was to be fishing before the sun came up, right? Because if, if you know anything about fishing, some of the best times to fish are dawn and dusk. But to watch the sunrise, to watch it begin to creep over the horizon. The sunrise shall visit us from on high. Israel had been waiting to hear from God about 400 years. Many had been living in darkness. And now, dawn is coming. The light is coming. Zechariah says, this light, it will give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. It will shine so brightly that those who are sitting in darkness will see it. Because his light cannot be hidden. Verse 80, and the child grew up and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah's life reminds us of so many things, but as we close today, let me highlight two different things. The first one is, is this. It reminds us that we should all be regularly checking our faith. That we should make sure that we are trusting God in life. I mean, remember who this man was. A priest viewed by all those around him as someone who was blameless, who kept the law. Yet he doubted that God could truly make the impossible possible. Even in the presence of an angel. And through all of the other things that we learned through the life of Zechariah, and there is so much, we're reminded to never stop praying as the situation is never truly over until God says so. A situation is never truly done until God says so. See, God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want them to be answered. He doesn't always answer them within the time frame that we hope he will answer them. But just because you're still waiting doesn't mean that God's not working. Just because life is difficult doesn't mean God's not moving. So we trust as Christians that God's way is always the best way. And we always bring our prayers to the feet of the Almighty. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the life of Zechariah. There's so much that can be learned <laughs> through the life of this man, how, how you make the impossible possible. Lord, a situation which, which truly seemed like there was no solution, Lord, you, you made it work because that's who you are. Lord, help us to reflect your light ever so brightly that those who are in darkness realize that this Christmas season is all about the dawn coming, Christ coming, hope coming to a world that is, is lost. And Lord, we realize that our world is lost. My goodness, we realize that. 
And Father, we ask that you would give us strength and courage to stand for you and to share the gospel message with all of those around us. In Jesus' name. Please stand with us as we sing our final song.